And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. He's Director of Frontline Fellowship. And Peter, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you so much, Dan. Always good to be back with Redeemer Broadcasting. I should also say on the side is my wife, Deb. She's just listening in, probably won't be participating in the discussion, but she is here today, too. And, um, Peter, one thing I wanted to ask you right up front, if you feel comfortable, we know that your wife has been battling cancer, I believe, and we're just wondering how is she doing? Well, uh, it's been quite a long time battle. My wife's a survivor. She's a fighter. We've been fighting cancer now for 10 and a half years. Uh, it's started in July uh, 2010, um, my wife had donated her kidney to our son, who was born with kidney failure. Um, I was ruled out as the first donor because they said my, uh, well, not just that I'd had too many strange diseases, uh, but uh, also my cholesterol and blood pressure was considered just over the limit for mm. what they required for the transplant. So my wife was the next one in line, and although she had had hepatitis uh, nearly Five years before, there was no trace of it. And if there had been trace of hepatitis, she would have been ruled out too. So that's interesting. But within six months after the transplant, uh, after donating a right kidney to our son, Christopher, um, she was discovered with breast cancer. And as a result, went through a double mastectomy. Uh, Six glands were uh, uh, removed, which were uh, all malignant. And uh, chemotherapy... Uh, as well, uh, which was unpleasant. But then she was for the next uh, five years clear uh, in remission. In 2015, uh, six more glands popped up, uh, which were malignant, and uh, that required some more surgery, more chemotherapy, plus radiation. And um, then Lenora went into remission for another four years. And uh, beginning last year, uh, January last year, uh, there was um, more... uh, uh, that was discovered, which led to radiation. And uh, then there was this full body MRI in November last year, which discovered that the uh, cancer metastasized, spread to the right hip, and um, to such an extent that my wife went through a very complex hip replacement, and more than hip replacement, actually. And that seems to have stored up a hornet's nest because now suddenly there's all kinds of extra cancer that was found to spread all over the place, including uh, to the skull, uh, parts of the uh, spine, um, one of her uh, uh, ribs as well, uh, which got brittle and, and in fact, she's got a broken, a a back rib, a high rib, almost on her shoulder, actually. And um, you can imagine the kind of pain that gives. So that then led to a whole series of nausea, side effects, um, and uh, intense pain. So that we actually had to hospitalize her a week ago, and um, she came out just last Thursday, and, uh, and the pain's been brought under control. Um, but, you know, so this has been a 10-and-a-half-year battle with cancer, most of the time in remission. But um, it's been it's, – it's led to a whole lot of ministry opportunities because my wife has made it into ministry. She got involved with cancer survivors in Cape Town, became a counselor and reached for recovery – I got involved in the Dragon Boating Fraternity, which was all made up of cancer survivors and uh, represent them overseas and 
with um, cancer survivor groups all over. And so uh, Lenora's actually dragon boated, paddling races um, as far as Malaysia and, and Florida. I was planning to go to New Zealand for next year's a big um, cancer survivor dragon boating festival, but that doesn't look very possible right now because uh, she's um, she's really in pain and oh. restriction. You can imagine. Um, there's there's now the pressures of do you go further with the traditional medicine or uh, do we go to the alternatives? Because they're calling what she's got right now stage four, which is uh, basically means it's inoperable from their traditional um, cancer treatment oncology departments. Well, that is, uh, that's heart-wrenching. As you were describing it, my wife is here, Deb, and she was just groaning, listening to um, all that your poor wife has gone through. Her name is Lenora? That's correct. Uh, yeah. Lenora is uh, of American parents, although she's born in Europe and raised in Europe and Austria, um, going to German-speaking school in Austria. Her father, Bill Bathen, was a preacher, evangelist, missionary, working behind the Iron Curtain, smuggling in Bibles, and ministering in every communist country uh, mm. around the world, um, especially in Eastern Europe. And so um, my wife grew up with people like Brother Andrew and Richard Von Brunt around a dinner table. And oh. so she's a missionary um, uh, with the, she, she was, she chose to be baptized in Romania with her friends, uh, saying, you know, she wants to be baptized where it costs something and where it's more meaningful. Oh, my. And, um, uh, so uh, my wife and I, when we were married, we went on an immediate Bible smuggling operation behind the Iron Curtain, ministering throughout Yugoslavia. Uh, we got kicked out of Czechoslovakia and uh, in Romania uh, with my parents-in-law. So you can imagine what, what an experience that is. So I've got a real missionary-minded wife who comes from a powerful missionary family and um, – it's a great privilege, and she's taken this cancer battle as just a new mission field, and uh, I was not aware of one person had cancer before my wife was diagnosed, and now mm. we're immersed in a whole fraternity of people uh, right. who are uh, in this, and so it really is an entire mission field. Yes. Well, um, we've already covered a lot. <laughs> that's That's very... Very uh, sadly, but interesting, um, an account there. Today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship and its director. Also the Reformation Society, Africa Christian Action, and the William Carey Bible Institute. As you mentioned, Peter, you have been involved with smuggling of Bibles. I, I guess it goes without saying, but that action alone... Uh, goes against the um, instructions of civil magistrates of the land. We could call them dictators because they're communist lands. But yeah. uh, how do you deal with that as a Christian, where you know full well you're disobeying the civil magistrate so that you can obey Christ? How do you deal with that? Yes, uh, well, of course, it was very well put by the reformers, that resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. Uh, the book Lex Rex, uh, which was written by Samuel Rutherford, which was one of the most quoted by your founding fathers when they were deciding uh, what to do with regard to uh, the uh, violation of Magna Carta by the uh, British government back in the 1770s. 
And uh, Lex Rex is an inversion of the traditional Latin phrase Rex Lex. Now, in Latin, Rex is the king and Lex is the law. So Rex Lex means the king is the law. The king's word is law. The king is the law. Uh, but the reformers flipped that around and said, no, it's not Rex Lex, it's Lex Rex. The law is king. Oh, yes. And uh, the reformers brought out a book called In Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants. And this uh, espoused the, the teaching that as we owe allegiance to our king, our king owes allegiance to the king of kings. And if our king is in rebellion to the king of kings, we must not join him in his rebellion. And so they taught the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, so that if a higher magistrate, let's say the emperor, the king, uh, whoever, the pope, uh, is in violation of the word of God, then we must obey God rather than man. And we mustn't do so in a lawless way, but it should be uh, those with with authority, lesser magistrates, so that the, the mayor, the barons, the uh, uh, local uh, magistrates need to resist tyranny that is above them. And this is seen most clearly in Magna Carta. The grandfather of all Bill of Rights comes from 1215 when the barons of England, which were the, the lords of the manor, so to speak, they, they gathered together and at the point of the sword uh, forced King John of England to sign Magna Carta, which is the great charter of liberties, which uh, spell out all the foundational principles which uh, form any good Bill of Rights, that you're innocent or proven guilty, the right to life and property and liberty, that uh, you have a right to trial by your peers and the jury, uh, and uh, that property may not be taken by the government without just compensation. And there's all kinds of brilliant and important principles saturated with Scripture. It was written by Stephen Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And Magna Carta is the grandfather of all Bill of Rights, and it's it's the direct um, inspiration uh, of the American Bill of Rights and, and all Bill of Rights after that. So uh, the the principle, when we look at the uh, the principles in R Romans 13, we see in Romans 13 that the government is called to be a minister of God, and they are to be a God's minister of justice, as we in the church are called to be ministers of grace, and we have the keys. So the minister in the state is meant to be a minister of justice, and he has the sword. And both the minister in the church and the minister in the state are meant to be ministers of God, under God. And uh, the same word is used, deacon, in Romans 13, speaking about the state being the minister of justice, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer, and who holds no terror for those who do good, but only for those who do evil. And so when, when we look at the biblical principles for government, government is called to protect the law-abiding and to to be a terror to evildoers, not to those who do good, and they're to be God's servant to do you good. So when we understand the role of government, and when we understand that God has instituted different spheres of government, there's self-government, family government, church government, civil government. And while we must, of course, obey our conscience, our conscience can be mistaken. If our conscience is not kept to the word of God, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. And so we need to be careful that our conscience is kept to the word of God. Similarly, while we must respect and honor our parents, there are such things as abusive parents who sell their children to slavery, use them for drug trafficking, uh, and so on. Uh, and similarly, uh, church leaders are to be respected, but then there are such things as false teachers, false pastors, false shepherds, and the Bible warns us about them. 
Well, similarly, when it comes to civil government, just as you get false ministers in the church, you get false ministers in government. Right. In fact, it would seem most of them are these days. So I do not believe that what we're seeing in the Bible is that you must obey every single God-hating pagan dictator who persecutes a church and blasphemes God. When it says that all authority has been instituted by God, it means from civil government, family government, church government, even self-government. But all these governments are under God, delegated by God, and all authority is answerable to God. Therefore, it would be very unbiblical to say that God gives a blank check to government and that they can do whatever they want. Because there are governments around the world, I don't even need to talk about North Korea and China, Mm. let me just mention the Sudan government, where... uh, until very recently, they were persecuting the church, they were crucifying pastors, they were burning churches, they were bombing marketplaces, hospitals, schools, kidnapping children, forcing them to forcibly convert them to the state religion, and uh, burning Bibles. Now, you can't say that they're operating with the authority of God when they are doing everything against God. Right. And so, in those cases, I believe we need to do what the Bible teaches, that just as the midwives in Egypt were told to kill the baby boys, uh, Pharaoh's orders, but they disobeyed Pharaoh. And yet in Hebrews 11, we read that the the Hebrew midwives are in the hall of faith. Amen. Uh, they are praised because they resisted an evil uh, edict by, by Pharaoh. And uh, similarly, we can see that when the Sanhedrin ordered both Peter and John not to teach in the name of Jesus, Peter responded, we must obey God rather than man. And mm. I, I think that's the position. As a missionary, I had to wrestle over this. I did a lot of Bible study and prayer and sought the counsel of much wiser people in myself and came to the conclusion that the highest authority in the world is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has given us his great commission. And no authority can countermand the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, I must make disciples of all nations, not stopping at the barbed wire fence or the iron curtain or the bamboo curtain uh, or the minefield. And so, uh, as a missionary, with much caution and in fear of God, we have uh, been convinced that we are led to disobey the state on these matters of Bible smuggling because we think it's outside of the jurisdiction of any a lawful state mm. uh, to forbid uh, the preaching of the word of God or the free exercise of uh, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Well, that's very interesting. Um, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. He is a missionary and he lives in South Africa. Um, Peter, I'm wondering in the last um, few minutes remaining, if we could talk about education a little bit, educational materials. Um, you you provide resources, um, very excellent books. Can you tell us a little about how important a Christian education is and how we need to guard our children from not being brainwashed in other religions? Oh, it, that's so important. In fact, one of the most important passages in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy chapter 6. It comes immediately after Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is the retelling of the law, the second giving of the law. And then we read one of the most important statements in the Old Testament, that the Lord, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then he says, these words which I give you 
are to be on your heart. And he gives the greatest command to you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you shall teach these diligently to your children. When you sit at home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign in your hands. They shall be as frontlet between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gate. So Deuteronomy 6 is giving us the greatest commandment. And the first application is education. Teach these principles to mm. your children diligently. And uh, it's to be on their hearts. So morning, noon, and night, from time you rise till time you go to bed, uh, and you to take God's word and bind them as a sign in your hand, that everything we do with our hand, everything we think with our mind, is to be governed by the word of God. In fact, the word of God is to be on our gates and on our doorposts. I think this means that everything we do within our gates and everything we do within our home is to be governed by the word of God. And surely education is the most important. In fact, the Great Commission includes education. You are to teach all nations, to obey all things that the Lord has commanded. So teaching has always been one of the most vital pillars of missions and of the church. And uh, in fact, I know this in Africa because the vast majority of schools and universities throughout all of Africa, almost all of them, were founded and planted by missions and churches. Yes. And uh, it's it's a tragedy that in my lifetime, governments have seized and in some cases, churches have relinquished, voluntarily even, uh, education to the hands of the state. And that was not so. Before I was born, it was common that all schools in just about everywhere in Africa were run by churches and, and by missions. And we've come to a very disturbing position where the state is usurping the role of the church and of the parents in education. And I do not believe you can trust any state with the molding of the minds of future voters. It's a conflict of interest. So missions needs to always be planting the school, the church, and the clinic, ministering to body, mind, and spirit. And education is so vital. And um, in my family, we've done a bit of everything. So my wife was trained as a teacher. Um, she's she's a, a trained uh, educationist. Uh, and she chose to home educate. Now, I've been through state schools, and um, I've been to Theology College, and uh, we sent our firstborn daughter to a normal uh, government-controlled school in South Africa for the first few years, which had a Christian principal and a lot of Christian teachers. And, and we saw the deterioration of the textbooks and of the curriculums uh, dramatically. And so we moved to private Christian school, and then we moved to home education. So with our four children, we've done everything from state education, private and independent Christian school, and home education. And and I must say, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, home education is the best, the easiest, actually. Um, <laughs> not only the most cost-effective, uh, but it's it's the the one with the best results. So that uh, we, we got heavily involved in education to such an extent, I started a ministry 25 years ago, almost 26 years ago now, Christian Liberty Books, where we uh, actually bring in, we import Christian textbooks from around the world, and we've produced well over 100 titles ourselves, more than that. Uh, I've particularly been busy producing history books because I've been dissatisfied with uh, some of the history books provided by some Christian curriculum providers, which look to me like the same selection of events and people and so on, uh, with just a scripture verse and a prayer added. Right. Uh, but Christian history needs to be more than that. So uh, I've written a whole bundle of Christian history books like The Greatest Century of Reformation, Greatest Century of Missions, uh, the sketches from South African history, Victorious Christians Who Changed the World. And uh, 
uh, I believe that there's nothing more significant or strategic we can do than to invest in the next generation and see that our children are brought up in God-honoring ways. Well, that's beautiful. I know that my wife was on your website in the past week on Christian Liberty Books, and uh, she actually followed through and and ordered something. But anyway, um, this is a great website. Uh, Dear listener, you would enjoy visiting Christian Liberty Books. And I think you have a site that's broken up um, South Africa as well as maybe here in the States. Yes. So, um, well, we've actually got quite a few websites. One of them that I set up specifically for history is reformationsa.org. And we've got a mountain of articles, videos, PowerPoints, and uh, different uh, things that, that help anyone in, in uh, home education with history, particularly focusing on missions history, church history, reformation history, and, and things like that. Uh, so um, uh, if, if people are interested in buying some of our books, we do have an office in Colorado that helps also to uh, ship out some books to make it more uh, cost-effective for people in America. Yes, that's what it was. Right. Thanks for clarifying that. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. Uh, He's a missionary and director of Frontline Fellowship, and we've talked about the touchy subject of uh, civil disobedience uh, when the magistrate is asking us or commanding us to do something that's against what our Lord commands. And we've talked a little bit about Lex Rex and the origin of that. And Peter has shared with us earlier on uh, what his wife went through with struggling with cancer. She's still going through it. And so the, the Hammonds have been through an awful lot. So, dear listener, we would simply ask you to pray for this precious family living in South Africa. Today, Peter, as we're recording this, um, we're on currently a seven-hour difference uh, between our time zones, and uh, we just came through an ice storm here overnight. Can you describe the weather that you're experiencing there in South Africa? <laughs> yes, well, we sort of going through a heat wave. This is our summer, and <laughs> um, <laughs> ice is the last thing in our mind. Um, so uh, down here, uh, yes, uh, for us it's sweltering hot uh, and um, our government, for uh, whatever um, wisdom in their minds and what they claim is fighting a pandemic, forbade our people to go to the beach for the hottest months of the year, uh, December and January, because somehow they thought that would help spread the COVID oh. virus, which I don't know how sea sand and salt's going to help that. But anyway, um, <laughs> so we, we've been sweltering away in, in, in the heat over here while you've been freezing up there. <laughs> well, it's very interesting. Um, we love Peter Hammond, and uh, we want to thank you for taking your time and sharing with our listeners today. Uh, any last word of advice for us here in America? Um, we're seeing a tremendous uh, wave of desire of socialism among some of our folks, and I see only destruction coming if we continue down that path. Uh, your your opinion? Definitely. Well, um, having spent most of my life serving persecuted Christians, including in Eastern Europe, uh, I've ministered in 38 countries, and I think the persecuted church has a lot to teach us. We need to fear God. We need to fear God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. And when we fear God, we are freed from the fear of man. And it's the fear mm. of man's a snare. It's a trap. And people pleasers make traitors. We must be so careful that we don't respect or fear the government more than we respect and fear God and his word and his laws. And so I think at this time, we need to learn from the persecuted church so that we don't 
find ourselves compromising with the world and uh, that we don't become traitors and Judases and sell out uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think a spirit of resistance is so important, and we learn that. If you read books like Tortured for Christ by Richard Vaughan uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, we learn from history that the church has not always had this attitude of whatever the government says, oh, they want us to close the church, let's close the church. Oh, we're not allowed to sing, let's not sing. But God commands us to sing, Amen. to enter to thanksgiving. I think we need to uh, get back to where we fear God more and where we speak to the state. Well, of course, when the state commands us to do what's in accordance with God's law, do not steal, uh, do not lie, sure. uh, do not murder. Well, of course, th- those, those are correct. But if a government orders what is evil, and tells you that you must uh, do what God calls an abomination and call it marriage in the church, or if uh, the state is telling you to have your children indoctrinate with propaganda, well, no, we, we can't allow right. that. So uh, quite rightly, we need to distinguish between that which is God's law and man's law, and God's law is with a capital L, and it is above man's law, which we must always have with a small L. Well, a beautiful summary. Our guest today is missionary Peter Hammond. Dr. Hammond is the director of Frontline Fellowship. Peter, thank you so much for joining us, and please extend our greetings to your wife, Lenora. Yes, certainly, and I should say, Dan, if anyone wants to see our website, it's www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, and my email is peter at frontline.org.za. Oh, I'm glad you shared that. (laughs) I meant to ask you and I forgot. Thank you, Peter. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much, Dan. God bless. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.